1: The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and Jamie Eisner.
2: Welcome in to episode 204 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast alongside Jamie Eisner. The Natty Hattie. And somewhere, Craig Morgan.
0: Somewhere on the West Slope. I can't even tell you myself.
2: <laughs> we were going to give you his exact location. But we don't know it. I'm Luke Lipinski. Obviously, with the Coyotes news over the last few days, that means Craig is on vacation of somewhere. Of course, it's, uh. it's, it's literally a hundred percent of the time.
0: Heavy sigh. Craig, how you doing? I'm doing well, actually.
1: I'm, I'm quite relaxed.
2: Oh, well, that's, that's
0: beautiful up here.
2: Good for you.
1: <laughs> and that makes one of us. <laughs> yes,
0: uh,
2: we're but also happy.
0: Luke was for- very relaxed too.
2: i overly relaxed. I'm apparently too relaxed after my few days off, and nobody knows what to do. Let's uh, let's start with the Stanley Cup. You guys have power where you are, right, Craig?
0: Power, yes.
2: Like like electricity, yeah. Yeah. So you you were able to watch electricity. You were able to watch Boston just pepper. Jordan Binnington with shots for the first 20 minutes of the game last night and not get any past him and then give up two goals. Can we start with the second goal they gave up when they decided to make a line change with 10 seconds left in the first period? What, what happened? There? Oh, well
1: uh, <laughs> Marshan kind of just got caught in no man's land there. He was going for the change and then tried very poorly to play left defenseman and then that didn't go well so no. he immediately headed to the bench and they gave up a goal.
2: He didn't have a great game
1: it, last night. That top line disappeared for most of the series and that was maybe the biggest surprise takeaway from the Boston side. If they look in the Except big on the power play. I mean, they did show up on the yeah, power but, play. Yeah, but right. yes, but on five on five. Yeah, for the seven games, five on five, and what I think is the best line in hockey. Not what I was expecting with the season on the line.
0: And that was the thing too. In, in much of this series, you felt like St. Louis was the better team five on five, but Boston special teams were just so good that you wondered if that was going to be enough. They obviously peppered them last night too with shots, and and George Finnikin just uh, had a terrific game. But it, in terms of Brad Marchand. Uh, one of my takeaways, and, and again, this is small sample size, and I think he's a terrific defensive player, but I remember several defensive gaps uh, gaps by Brad Marchand in this in this Cup final and in this postseason that that was surprising to see for me.
2: Yeah, he he just he wasn't bad because I mean he was still scoring. He had the big five on three goal in Game Six that got them off on the right foot in that one in series, but he just didn't. He just didn't look right. To Jamie's point, the whole top line didn't look right. They they had some good setups in the period last night, and then Pasternak kept either fanning on shots or just kind of shooting them wide. Like Who knows? But he almost looked like he was too hyped up for the game. I mean, there's a couple chances where he nearly scored and just kind of whiffed or didn't get all of it. But I mean, we, we all said it. We weren't watching the game together. We were talking during the first uh, period. You could, just, you could tell when St. Louis scored the first goal, you could tell it was going to be a long night for Boston because it just didn't look like they were going to get Two past Jordan Bennington.
0: Well, yeah, and, and I don't know. Are you guys waiting for the same sort of things? I, I haven't looked this morning. Maybe they have come out already, but I'm, but I'm almost waiting for the reports on you know, Brad Marchand was playing without a heart yes. in, the, in the Cup final. <laughs> <what> other, <laughs> other, other injuries are going to come out of that's this. an upper They're body injury, like a day or two afterwards. Yeah, upper body injury, right?
1: Yeah, we haven't seen much. It's weird. We, we haven't seen much from the Bruins side. We obviously heard about Ryan O'Reilly, Ryan O'Reilly's injury and other things, but. I don't know. To, to me, it felt like just the classic missed opportunity early in that first period, where it, it's almost cliched, but when you put that many shots on a goaltender, can't seem to get one pass. It looks like you're absolutely, completely dominating every facet of the game, and the other team comes right back down late in the period and scores. Like, it's just it's such a demoralizing feeling. And then they get that second one, uh, as Boston's scrambling at the end there. Uh, it just that I didn't feel at any point once St. Louis got on the board that the Bruins were going to win the game. It just felt like we didn't get that That strong of a pushback in the second or third periods from Boston.
0: Did you guys see this coming, by the way, this Game 7? Did you guys think this series was over when St. Louis lost Game 6 at home?
2: No, I mean, at that point I thought it was a coin toss. I thought the series was over when Peter Angelo scored at the end of the first period. I just I didn't think Boston was coming back. But, uh, well, I mean, anybody that, that I had talked to that just, again, like casually following hockey, but you get into it for the Stanley Cup, and I'd love to see what the ratings were for last night for a Game 7. I think it was the first Game 7 since 2011 in the actual Stanley Cup final. I, I, would I try to explain to people that aren't hockey fans, when you get to one game, it's just a coin flip, basically. Maybe that coin is slightly hedged in Boston's favor because they were the home team
1: and they had some guys that have been there before and won the Cup before. It's a coin flip, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I I've been pretty steady saying Boston in seven all along, but I didn't think it was a gimme. The still, you still think? Yeah, no, I I think now I finally come to the terms that I don't think Boston's going to win in seven. But it's not like St. Louis has been playing bad; they've been exceptional on the road. So the, it was far from a gimme. I was just a little bit surprised for me at the lack of pushback in the last two periods of the game. The Bruins in the second period didn't look like a team that was playing with their season on the line, down multiple goals. No, they they look like the
2: second goal at the end of the first period broke them, and I don't see any injury updates on Brad Marchand. At all I see are a bunch of gifs of him crying, or photos of him crying, or people happy that he's crying. That's literally all the internet is today. So I haven't seen any injury updates, but yeah, Jamie's right. I mean, the the best thing about the Bruins. To me, all playoffs were, if you got them down in a series or a game, they inevitably would push back. We even saw it in the Toronto series, down 3-2. They come back and win, and we saw it in this series at times, and we saw it in Game 6 when they were down 3-2. Going into St. Louis, looking like, I mean, that's that's a tough place to to just keep your season going when they have a chance to win the Cup. But once that second goal got scored last night, it's not that they stopped trying. They didn't go like full Tampa on us, but you could tell at some point it got in their head that they were probably going to have to put a perfect shot past binnington and they knew they were gonna have to put three past him by the time the second period started
0: i'd like to apologize i picked the quietest place i could to park in town so that i get a good signal and i have a garbage truck next to me
2: <laughs> i was gonna say you said, you said you're out in like the middle of the wilderness and i hear like construction right, going exactly. on. exactly
0: <laughs> like i i went into this tiny town to, to, to find that the best signal possible and have this quiet spot under a shade tree, and of course, a garbage truck pulls up right next to me.
2: How do you feel as a self-admitted uh, Blackhawks fan, Craig? That I, I think was pretty clear at least early in the series. You didn't want Boston winning another championship.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, at the beginning of the series, I couldn't really say I was pulling for either team. But the more it went along, you know, it, it, and I said this, I tweeted this last night. It's really cool to see a team and a fan base win a title for the first time st louis has been in the league 52 years we we've we've talked about those first few years when they got to the cup final because they were you know an expansion team was gifted a birth in the cup final but they've had a lot of good teams over the years and just never been able to get over the hump it was pretty cool to watch this in the end i didn't have any problems at all as a blackhawk fan in fact it was i just thought it was a really heartwarming story for that entire city and Can you imagine what the parade's going to look like in St. Louis? That's a town that loves parades anyway, by the way. It's going to be a really cool event, I think, when they finally celebrate this as a city.
2: Look at that. This this Stanley Cup warmed the hearts of Blackhawks fans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I know a couple other Blackhawks fans that were sort of similar. They were conflicted because they didn't want St. Louis to win because of the rivalry. But as the series went on, they kind of... Went more down the Craig Morgan path of this is a team that's been in the league for half a century and they've never won a cup. Do you think that was pretty common among among Blackhawk fans?
0: I I can't say I haven't done a, a scientific poll, but I did get that sense from a lot of people that I know that root for the Blackhawks. And and look, I I can honestly say that had this been Detroit, I definitely wouldn't have gotten those warm and fuzzy feelings, even if it were their their first cup. It's a different <laughs> feeling with the Red Wings than it is with the Blues. Um, it's just. It's hard to work up a good hatred for the St. Louis Blues. I just, I just don't have it in
2: me. I think it'll get easier now, though.
1: Well, how much of how much of that is also the factor of in the last ten years or so, Chicago versus St. Louis has really been a one sided competition in the sports world.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: I Um, mean, I mean, got to be riding high if you're if you're a Chicago sports fan relative to a St. Louis sports fan. Who was, you know, especially before last night.
0: Yeah, I mean the Blackhawks have 3 cups, so I I can't complain about that. And a football uh, team. <laughs> and a basketball team, although not much of one lately. Well,
1: yeah, I I didn't bring up the Bulls for a reason.
0: Six titles well so a basketball team.
2: Uh in terms of the the win for St. Louis. And Craig put this in the notes. I think it's a great question. Does this lead to copycats now that are trying to mimic essentially what the Blues did? We have seen teams switch coaches midseason and win the cup. I this, this three now in the last ten says, or eleven years. Penguins
1: fan, yeah, um, yeah, twice. They've done it twice in the last ten years. But what, what's the cop? I, I, no, I'm seriously. I'm, I'm not try- one of the rare times I'm actually not trying to be a jerk. Uh, I bet you're going to come off as a jerk. What is? What are you copycatting?
0: That is that is the question. I, I think that's the way to ask this question, actually. And I hope it's not. Hey, let's fire our coach midseason because you know you can win a cup if you do that. There are obviously a lot more factors <laughs> than that, but wow. I think there's this there's this narrative that St. Louis plays hard and heavy, you know, and they get in on the forecheck and they're they're a big physical team. And so, okay, are a bunch of teams going to copy that versus, you know? smaller, skilled speed guys. St. Louis has plenty of skill, mind you. You don't win a cup without it. Um, But I I think if people are looking at the the copycat angle, that's probably what they're going to look at. I don't think that's entirely fair. I think St. Louis has great depth. We talked about this at the beginning of the season when we thought that they were a dark horse contender, that they had built some depth. Um, But in terms of copycatting, I think the narrative is going to be Do you need to play this heavy, big, physical style in order to win Cups?
1: And I think that's a mistake because I I agree with you. We've said this all along with both of these teams. The key to getting here was depth. That was the biggest separator between why, in this year of crazy playoff runs early, why these two teams got there. Because when you, they took their top lines off the ice, they could still compete at a high level, which is something that we couldn't say about a lot of other teams that made the postseason. That should be the takeaway. Maybe the very small postscript of, maybe we should give some more AHL coaches a chance, especially when they coach players that ha- we have in our system. Uh, that might be the other small takeaway at some point. I know I know, Craig Brew is a little bit... More complicated than that, but we've seen some success there. With like John Cooper, for example, we might see that in Anaheim in a little bit if they ever ever hire. Anaheim's girls, not hiring things. a coach. Um, but to me, I don't, I don't think the takeaway is that we're starting to build the 2012 Kings again. I, I think if that's a takeaway, then if I'm a team that doesn't follow that, I'm thrilled if other teams go yeah, down the, that path.
2: The Kings path. are already copying St. Louis. They've been copying them retroactively for like eight years now. I think there is something though to the idea of. <sighs> It, the copycat, like the spin offs of a copycat we might see are, they were in last place on January 3rd, so our team's going to believe they're still in it deeper into the season, and our team's going to be more likely to change coaches midseason. Not like it's going to become an epidemic and everybody's going to do it, but if a team feels like going into the year they can win the Cup, even if they can't, and they're doing even just below average midway through the season, is that coach now more in danger? And I would even go one step further. If you're going to change coaches mid season, probably, yeah, going the AHL route is the best way to do it because – that guy has familiarity in theory with your system and your players, and, and look, we saw it with the Penguins twice when they did it. They switched to an AHL coach and won the Cup.
1: Yeah, to, to me I think the biggest takeaway is that we should stop giving Mike Yeo head coaching jobs, because it's just not working. <laughs> That's my biggest takeaway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you want to copy... You know, in, in the case of these coaching changes, it's 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 like you just alluded to, Luke. I, I think it's a team with significant expectations when the season started, and, and St. Louis should have had him with the things they did in the offseason. We like their off season moves, but when you talk about the teams that have done this and won cups, they had significant expectations at the start of the season. They weren't realizing those, so they decided to make a switch. But I don't think this can become, you know, an epidemic for teams that have significant roster holes and suddenly thinking that the coach is going to make all the difference in the world. That's that's just silly.
2: David Back is not playing the last what three games of this series, and and who knows if he would have made a difference. He didn't make a huge difference Probably in the first not. four, but at the same time, I mean, I, I can't imagine. Being David Backus in your new home arena watching your former team win the Cup and you can't do anything about it, that's that's brutal.
0: It really was hard to watch. And, I again, I, I understood the reasons for pulling him from the lineup. He, quite frankly, wasn't very good. But there's this side of me that just wonders with a guy like that who was the heart and soul of the Blues for so long, has that sort of character. You wonder if he could have dug down deep and found something in those last three games to help Boston, I mean, were they were they really better off with the decisions they made? I don't know. I, I I don't know. In the end, it's it's not an easy answer. I just it was just really hard watching David Backus sit for the the final three games of that series.
2: It's hard to question anything Bruce Cassidy did because he was outstanding all season in the playoffs, but. Um... I don't know. I mean, it's they just—they were missing something in Game Seven, but I don't but know. if sure. That's would have David Back.
1: It. Like, yeah. obviously, he's a, hes a good dude. in that scenario, but David Backus wasn't the difference in the Bruins winning or losing a Stanley Cup. I, I can't—I can't buy into that. You think the cons? Might? No,
0: I, I wouldn't say it's the difference. I just wonder if he could have done something, or was it was it was it that important to remove him from the lineup? Uh, you know, and, and do what they did instead. Did that make so so much of a difference to their lineup?
2: Well, and that's the I thing. Know. I mean, if if there's a game where he was going to make more of a difference, it probably would have actually been Game Five, where the final score was two to one, and that game, that one was in Boston. I mean, and he at least played the previous four. Maybe maybe that's the one where he makes a difference because Game Six they didn't need him. In Game Seven, he's not gonna he's not gonna score on Bennington if nobody else is scoring on Jordan Bennington. <laughs> yeah uh Con
1: Smythe, we all happy with ryan o'reilly yeah that that was my that was my pick all along there he 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 was by one especially once Jordan began to give that one goal that didn't matter toward the end it's like okay this is this is now an easy decision for everybody it's ryan o'Reilly uh,
0: yeah well do, do you think there's a third candidate in there though that probably didn't get as much attention because it's so stat driven
2: uh, what are you talking about the guy who had the game winning goal i mean yeah, Peter angelo was yeah yeah i <sighs> It's look it's at his minutes, tough.
0: Look at look at his impact. Did he factor on the first four goals last night? I'm trying to remember. Uh, uh, he played just insane minutes. He he yeah. actually was pretty productive from a point standpoint in in the postseason as well. Uh, I I don't know. I think there's a pretty good argument to be made for him. I don't have any problem with Ryan O'Reilly winning. He was he was terrific, but I, I'm not sure that Alex got enough attention for for the way he played.
2: Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, when you have a team where it's it's this balanced. You know, it, it's not sometimes. Sometimes you get like the the Stanley Cup ends, and it's very clear who the, the the main driving force was for the winning team. With St. Louis, it was it was probably Bennington more consistently through the playoffs than anybody. But Ryan O'Reilly really picked it up, and he scored in four straight games to close yeah. out. I mean, that's ridiculous First time since Gretzky, yeah. and yeah. it was a six game point streak in the Stanley Cup to close things out. I mean, he he was outstanding. But yeah, I mean, Peter Angelo did all the things that you. That you would expect from him coming into the season, like he was kind of—he wasn't great in the first half of the of the season either. He was kind of symbolic of the entire Blues season. He started slow, he picked things up, and then he really took off once the playoffs hit. So yeah, I think you couldn't have gone wrong with any of those three guys. But with the it, how balanced it was, I just don't think we were going to see a defenseman winning it.
0: Hard to figure why Ryan Ryan O'Reilly didn't play for one franchise his entire career, huh?
2: Yeah, well. He And he took an offer sheet, too, didn't he? Didn't
1: that mess him up in Colorado? He got yeah. an offer yes. sheet from Calgary. Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, one, that's the yeah. other one of the rare yeah. offer sheets. Yeah. The last
0: one, I believe, right?
1: Maybe yeah. the, last one. the last one. Yeah, we'll I think it was the last see. one. Yeah. yeah, that was post Weber. So,
2: And he's even said like it was kind of weird because he got offer sheeted but didn't leave yeah. to come back to Colorado. Like, that was kind of it. And then he was in hockey purgatory in Buffalo, and now look at him winning... Winning a Stanley Cup, what do you think in terms of next year? I mean, the St. Louis, I know they're not the Cup favorites going into next year. People are still picking Tampa because they've never watched a playoff game before. But there's some staying power there here. There's a lot
0: of questions. There's a lot of questions, right? Starting in goal, will, will Jordan Biddington be able to sustain this? We'll see. I, it's it's hard to say. But, yeah, I, gut feeling, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like the Blues are a team that repeats as Stanley Cup champs. But this was a, a an incredible run. It really was. I just I, I don't know. They, they have a lot of pieces. They they can be a good team. They they should be a good team. But if they get all the way back? I I don't know. I I probably would not pick St. Louis to win it again next season. Yeah, most, most of their main pieces are back though.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think this is a team that's probably hosting a, a playoff game in round one still. But I, I don't see them as a. True cup contender. And if there's ever been a time where nonlinear progression comes into play, it's with young <laughs> goaltenders. I, I don't know how many times we see young goaltenders pop up, then everybody loves them, they the greatest thing of all time, then they struggle for a little bit, and now they suck, they're never going to be good again, and then they settle into their careers in their in their late 20s. Like This happens all the time. I, I can't Are you Im- talking about Matt Murray or Cam Ward? <laughs> I can't imagine that the Blues... St- they're not going to be as bad as they were at the start of the season. They're not going to be as good as they were in the back half of the season. They will kind of finish around maybe a few points less than what they finished with in regular season. But you've got to imagine some of these other teams in the West are going to pop up.
2: Did you just mention Cam Ward, Luke? I did mention Cam Ward. Sorry, Wait, Craig. Is the cowbell near you? I, I can't quite hear it. Jamie has it. Thank you. I was in the studio today. day. Can't and... really
0: do that from the Western Slope.
2: <laughs> you could have an actual cowbell. Yeah, i an actual by.
1: cowbell.
0: I
2: probably could find one. Actually, um, somebody
0: rang that cowbell
2: at me in the studio the other day. I was like, I, I don't That's know. Aggressive. If, I don't know if you understand the power of, of what you're doing right now. Somewhere, Craig Morgan is twitching and thinking about Stan Bowman.
1: By the way, that explains it. Um, I, I also want to say before we move move on from the blues, I'm already sick of the January first narrative. I'm, I'm sick of it.
2: What about uh, the January second narrative?
1: Uh, this this whole thing next year is going to just make me want to stab my eyes out. Okay, well, that we're gonna have to what, pretend.
0: people are gonna be looking at, oh, now it's time to pay attention.
1: Yeah, that we're gonna have to pretend. Exactly, like some trash team in the middle of the season has a <laughs> chance because look what the Blues did last year. Like I don't, I can't, I can't, I already can't do it.
0: <laughs> I hope yeah. it happens again. It probably will be stretched. That probably will be stretched. I'm <laughs> gonna be so you mad. Have to have, you have to have the pieces, the requisite pieces? And as we said at the beginning of the season, we thought St. Louis did, but yeah. <laughs> If there are coaches of really bad teams using that as their mantra, that'll, that'll be amusing.
2: So that's the rule now, right? If you're not in the playoffs by Thanksgiving, there's like a, a 90% chance you're not making the playoffs, but if you're not in the playoffs by Thanksgiving, as long as you're in last by January 1st, you're winning the cup. <laughs>
1: It's gonna happen. They're, they're, it's gonna happen all year, and I'm just I'm just gonna hate it. I'm gonna hate every second of it.
2: All right, so that makes me that gives me something to look forward to this season. Uh, as far as Bennington, too, like real quick before we wrap up here with, with St. Louis and get to the inevitable Coyotes news, um, I don't like. I don't think he's gonna be dominant in, in a, a Vezina candidate next year, but I, I do think his personality is conducive to him being a pretty just solid, consistent number one goalie for the St. Louis Blues, barring injury going forward. He's he never. <laughs> He never had that mentality yeah. of, of like a rookie or that was out. He, never, he just never seemed rattled. Even in interviews, he never seemed too high or too low. And I, I, to me, that's like the best quality you could have as a goalie.
0: Right. I was going to say, you mean the fact that he never expresses emotion?
2: Yes. <laughs> the fact that he might be a robot, you could just reprogram him to do the same thing next year. Right, right,
1: right. To, to me, again, the big key is always when the league adjusts, how quickly do you adjust back? Because the league will adjust to Bennington. Next year, mm-hmm. they have a book on him now. How quickly can he adjust back? And I'm not saying he can't do it again next year. I'm just saying I find it unlikely that he matches the level of success he has over the first full season of starting. How bad would it have
2: been for the uh, newspaper in St. Louis if they had not won the Stanley Cup after running the congratulations to themselves after Game Five, before Game Six, that they had won the Stanley Cup? I mean, that's the sort of thing you never live down, isn't it?
0: Yeah, Dewey beats Truman.
2: Yeah. <laughs> do we think they were yeah. uh, dirty in this series i know both uh, look every team uh, that loses says the the team that beat them was dirty but pretty strong complaints from bruins fans and sharks fans specifically about the blues more so than any I, other i don't want to
1: hear anything from bruins fans of the bruins at stop that team that. <laughs> that team in the last six or seven years absolutely stop it i, I don't want to hear it you yeah. have nothing to complain about because yes. of Martian. You know, yeah.
0: Boston employs the same methods, no question. I mean, if we're talking about, like, there there are a handful of teams that have won Cups that don't play those tag levels. I, I mean, I, I don't know what you guys think, but the Blackhawks were mostly a skilled team. There were a couple moments, I remember, where there were a couple dirty plays, but by and large, that wasn't really part of their M.O. These teams play. Again, it goes with, with the sort of style of play that they employ. Both teams used it, so, yeah, it's, stop complaining about yes. that. That's just silly. That's just... That's
2: sour grapes. So is that a component, though, to winning in the playoffs? Now, not not the build your team big and slow and physical, not the Blues aren't slow, but big and physical to, to win, but just more so, because you're right, as much as I don't like the Blackhawks, they're not really a dirty team and they won three cups. I don't think anybody would say the Penguins were a heavy physical team when they won their cups. In fact, you would say they probably were lacking on defense. It was just skill and, and timely goaltending, but... I think some people had some complaint about the way the Kings played. Uh, certainly people had complaints about the way the Blues played, not just uh, Bruins fans. I mean, is that a necessity to actually get through two months of playoffs? I,
0: I... No, I, I would just say that there are multiple paths to winning titles. The, the, the problem is people get, again, and this goes back to the, the copycat thing that we were talking about. People assume, okay, you win the Cup this way. This is the only way you can win the Cup. Why, why is that the narrative? There are multiple ways to win a championship. It still comes down to depth and talent and luck and a, a whole lot of factors. But there's not one path to a Stanley Cup.
1: I think also people misidentify what makes these teams win. The Kings didn't win because they were physical. The Kings won because they never didn't have the puck. They had the puck under yeah. sticks yeah. constantly, and they had unbelievably elite goaltending. Is that a double negative? Yeah. Okay. They they never they never didn't have the puck. <laughs> But but that's the point. If, like They had the puck constantly, and they had a goaltender that was stopping every shot. They didn't win because they hit people hard. That's not why they won the cup. There are a lot of teams that hit hard that don't win anything.
0: They never didn't have the puck. Does that phrase change if you say they never, never did not not have the puck?
1: Never did. It does. does. The they thing? never did not have the puck.
2: Well, they... I'm, I'm confused. They I'm always confused did not have the puck, I guess. be the-
1: Put that on one of our t-shirts that we're not making. Uh, I just- <laughs>
2: Jonathan Quick, though you're right. I mean, that was he was the yes. difference. Both of those, and Bennington wasn't the whole difference here, but he certainly was last night in my mind.
1: And there also there wasn't one dominant team. Like that's the one prevailing thought from this whole post. It was so there, wide. There open. wasn't one dominant team that you had the opportunity well, to win in this. Scenario. There was
0: one in the regular season. <laughs> well, yeah, but
1: not in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, but then the second period of Game One of the playoffs happened, and then that was about it. <laughs> How are you
2: guys going to look back on these playoffs? Because if you look at at who's won the Cups over the last few years, and you had the Kings winning twice, and the Penguins winning three times, and the Blackhawks winning three times, and even Washington last year when they finally won, it made a lot of sense. You looked, and you're like, okay, Ovechkin was, at least in hindsight, going to get his Cup at some point. That team was extremely talented. Not that the Blues aren't extremely talented, but this this feels just like an entirely different story than what we've seen over the last 10 years, really, in the NHL.
0: Oh, I agree. I, I, this this postseason feels like an anomaly to me. First of all, when you have all four division winners bow out in the first round, you know it's going to be crazy. And, and look, the wild cards eventually fell by the wayside, as we expected they would. Those Cinderella runs don't tend to roll all the way to a cup final. But when you take all those teams that, that succeeded through the regular season out of the picture, you're going to have a team that's a little bit of a surprise. Again, there's the January 1st narrative. St. Louis played very well, but I don't get the feeling about the Blues that I did about the Blackhawks or the Penguins or even the Kings. It's not, it doesn't have that like mini-dynasty feel. I, I don't expect St. Louis to be back here. I just think this was a product of what happened early in the postseason.
1: Yeah, the story of the playoffs for me is just the teams that didn't get there. The teams that didn't make it past the first round. I, I think there's no way to look at this and go and think about it any other way. And that's not taking away from St. Louis winning the Cup. It's just... The way the first round in particular went this postseason and the way that the these dom I mean, a team like Tampa who was excellent at every point in the season, they didn't back into the playoffs either because they got this big lead. What they had the second best record behind St. Louis since January one or whatever it was. And to just get demolished by Columbus. I mean, so to me, that's always that's going to be the narrative to me because I think it's just the teams that lost in the first round, the way Vegas lost, the way Tampa lost and what their future is going to hold. That to me is going to be what the prevailing story of this postseason is for years to
2: come. It would have been... Cooler if and I don't want to take anything away from the two teams that got there because St. Louis went through Winnipeg and San Jose and Dallas ultimately to get there. So they had a and then Boston to win. <laughs>
0: <Dallas> so, <under laughs> and boys I guys. couldn't
2: I couldn't say that any quieter. I maybe I'll, I'll just completely erase it in post production. Um, St. Louis, it's not like they had an easy path, but especially on Boston side, and I still think Boston's the better team, so I'm not trying to take away from them either, but it would have it would have been a much more compelling story if they went through Toronto and Tampa and Washington to get to the Stanley Cup as opposed to Toronto and Columbus and Carolina, you know? So there, there is something missing when everybody seemingly gets upset in the first round. That's, yeah. Because St. Louis versus Winnipeg and, and Boston versus Toronto, there really couldn't be an upset. I mean, those the, the, these two teams actually played legitimate opponents in the first round, but it felt like the the favorite in almost every other of those six first-round series went out. And that just doesn't make – it at least doesn't make for a good second round. I think we recovered in time for the, the third round in the Stanley Cup, essentially minus that Carolina-Boston series. But it, this was a weird playoffs. I don't remember one like this.
0: Jamie, I think you should use the uh, – you should start an alternate January 1st. Narrative with Tampa as your poster team. Be careful yeah. of playing well after January first, because look what can happen. Yeah, so, that's, that's true. true. Yeah, you, yeah. Should, you should do that.
1: You don't want to be the best team in the league on January first because you can't win. Well, that, I mean that's the President's Trophy narrative.
0: Best well, what, second what? best, right? Second best. It's yeah. the worst yeah. Place to be after January first.
1: What's going to be the more annoying narrative, that or like the President's Trophy? can't-win-a-cup thing. That's gonna
2: President's Trophy one's going to hang around because they yeah. only win it a quarter of the time, so people are going to look at that and say that's mm-hmm. bad, whereas the January 1st one's going to go
1: away in 365 days. I'm telling you, we're going to need to, keep, we're gonna need to like keep a counter of all the GMs and coaches that use that as an excuse for why they absolutely suck next season. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen a lot.
2: Well, coaches aren't going to say it because that means you have to change coaches in December for it to work. All right. Craig? This is, this is your moment to shine from the the mountains of Colorado you when did you specifically go on vacation? This was like last sh- Friday or Saturday when
1: did the athletic story come uh, out? Yeah <laughs>
0: we, we drove up uh, yeah <laughs> we, we drove up on Saturday.
2: okay. So. <laughs> the athletic story came out on Monday as I recall because <laughs> I remember walk I was walking down the beach and my phone went off and I looked down It's text from Craig and I'm like, well, here we go. <sighs> I
0: had had hoped that it was going to move on Friday, but, you know, that didn't happen. So,
2: So, uh, I guess just start with the basics here. What can you tell the listeners about where the Coyotes are right now?
0: Well, as I reported, and I'm guessing most Coyotes fans are aware of this by this point, um, and it's fun to say this word in front of the name, billionaire Alex Morello is in the latter stages of purchasing a large majority stake in the Coyotes. So... It's expected to be on the uh, Board of Governors' agenda, a vote next week in Vegas, uh, the same day as the award show. You guys will be there, so you'll you'll have to let me know what happens when they walk out of the room. We will. And then uh, e- even though it's going to be voted on, it's expected to be voted on next week, um, I don't think the sale is going to close until later this summer. We'll see exactly when that is, whether that's July or even pushing into early August. We'll, we'll have to wait and see because, as, as we've talked about so many times, These deals are so complex. There are so many issues to be sorted out. So you can't ever say, oh, it's a done deal because there are still very real issues to be sorted out. So we'll see where that goes. But I can't help wondering, you know, if this guy is all that he appears to be from, you know, initial background search and and all of his areas of expertise, whether it's real estate or gaming or his his connection with the Latino community because he's Cuban-American, you can't help but thinking about all the possibilities in Arizona, whether it's connecting with that untapped part of the market, the Latino community, whether it's incorporating some form of gaming into the Coyotes team platform. Obviously NHL just took this dive recently. So what are the possibilities there? And then of course the biggest one, the one that Coyotes fans have wanted to see forever, stable and well-financed ownership. What does that mean for the team on the ice? What does it mean John Schreker can do whether it's in free agency or through trades or just what are his confines under the salary cap?
2: Uh, I guess let's let's go this direction. There's a lot of different directions we can go with this, but I mean Jamie and I know this first, and I think a lot of people are aware of this with Craig. But I mean Craig, here's what how many 9000 yes he can hear you Everything. right now how many ownership leads or stories do you start to hear rumors not stories but you you kind of hear and they disappear and they go away and and it just there's not even any point in reporting on them the simple fact that Craig Morgan saw fit to report on this makes me believe this is considerably further along than a lot of these rumors we've heard for the last however many years
0: guys i have been told by a couple of people that there were as many as 30 groups that have inquired about this team over the past year or so Thirty. Imagine that's a staggering number, and and obviously some of those are not considered serious by the league or by the team. A couple of those groups it got pretty far. In fact, there was a, there was a group recently, and I'm not going to talk about names or anything, but I, I think there was a group that got really close, and I, I think it fell apart for a reason that surprised some people. So that that's the thing that you know when you when you read reports that. It's a done deal. It's, you just have to be so careful with that sort of reporting. We've seen it happen so many times. I've seen it happen recently with the Coyotes. There are a lot of issues. These things are complex and they're fragile. So, yeah, I, I sort of wanted to see it get to a certain point before I felt comfortable. Obviously, there are sources that you talk to as well that don't feel comfortable talking to you until they feel it's reached a certain point. We'll see. I, I think we're at that point. There's a lot of optimism from a lot of people that I've talked to, but you just never really know until a guy comes in and, and, and starts to operate how things are going to shake out for a team.
1: And, and I think one of the points you made was, was, I mean, all the points you made were good, but one of them in particular that we've, we've joked about before, that I think people don't put enough stock in the fact that a nine-figure deal to purchase an entity like a sports team— is a massively complicated transaction that takes a lot of time, effort, and lawyers. Yeah, I was gonna say, and lawyers. Like that's an yeah. incredibly difficult thing to do. You're not trying to buy a car. You're trying to buy a nine-figure sports franchise with that has their, its own governing laws and own approval process. Oh yeah, and you have to do all the other legal things that you would normally have to do when you purchase. Think just how company. long it
2: takes to buy a car. Yes. I mean that's not like oh I'm gonna go buy a or car a house. this afternoon.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. The financial and legal details alone. I don't think people have a sense of it. It's just staggering the amount of details that you have to sort out. So, yes, exactly. That's what makes these things so complex and so potentially fragile.
2: I I like the idea, as you said, Craig, of him maybe being able to get in touch with different different uh, aspects of the fan base here in Arizona. And I also like the idea of him being a billionaire. I mean, how many you, – you, you hear about a lot of guys that are, are looking to buy sports teams. Oh, this guy has a lot of millions of dollars or he's got investments here. Or he's it's a group that has – I'm talking about a guy that has billions of dollars.
0: I, and, yeah, and I don't even know how to measure that, Luke, because you look at – uh, various estimates of his net worth—it's it, anywhere from two billion to fifteen billion. That's a huge range. How, how is that possible? I, I don't think we ever really know what these guys are worth. Either
2: but way, if the does appear, go, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say if the floor is two billion, I'm good. <laughs>
0: right, right. That's a good floor.
1: <laughs> yeah, and obviously that—that's from a fan perspective. That's the big number that you want to see because you want to know. What is the percentage chance that they're going to invest enough in the franchise to get either close to the cap ceiling or invest in their own players, bring in other players? I think that's always the the billion dollar question, oh, right? I see Look But but I mean, and, and from a fan perspective, that that's what you're looking at. You know, is this owner coming in liquid enough to do more with the team than just the bare minimum? And I th- and right. it, by all indications. It seems like that would, in this case, that would be the case if, and again, all the if and whens, caveats that you, you would throw in here.
2: Jamie's turning yeah. into an attorney right in front <laughs> well, of our ears.
0: Yeah, it's true. And, and of course, one of the, the first questions people are going to ask is, what about the arena? Because Jerry Bettman's on record saying they can't survive in Glendale. That's We, we, we all know that story by now. What's unclear to me is whether that attitude has changed. I, I don't know. It does not appear right now. That they're very focused on the arena situation, so it's it's all about getting this sale done. We'll see if and when that happens. How he he answers other questions, but to to start all this speculation about oh well if they can't get arena done in in a year or two they're going to move again. I'm so tired of the uh, just the lazy relocation rumors. Right, well they gotta they, they gotta get this done otherwise they they could move to Houston. You know which is what city six or seven on the list of cities they were supposedly leaving for. I don't even know how you get there at this point until you can talk to Alex Morello and, and get his thoughts on various things, see where, see where he stands on it. But when you look at this guy's history, look at the look at the major properties or, or investments he's made. He's not a guy like some of the people that have come through recently that is looking at this as solely an investment. I mean, he is looking at it as, as an investment, but he's not a guy who then turns around and flips this or sells it. Yeah, He's a guy who invests, builds it up, and then keeps it. It almost becomes... A part of his family becomes one of his babies he He's not a guy, and he said this. he's on record saying this to the l a Times. He's not much of a seller, so that that aspect, if it holds true for sports ownership, I don't know if it does, but his history is really encouraging on that front for coyotes fans
1: yeah a, a few things on and one of them is along that line. One of the most precious commodities in America today is professional sports ownership. It is one of the few things that there is a capped, finite amount of things uh, to purchase. around. And we've seen that with increased prices in the NHL. We've seen it with Vegas, with Seattle. We've seen that with increased prices like for the Los Angeles Clippers when Balmer bought them. I mean, we are starting to see that there is something to being able to purchase something that is not really that available, even if you have a lot of money, to a lot of people. Uh, but I, I do want to ask you about a couple of things, Craig. Uh, one, just cu- it comes from the outside looking in. It does seem like, to your point, that they're not in the worst situation of all time when it comes to Glendale in the arena. This is not where they were five, six, seven years ago in those city council meetings everybody's thinking about. They can sustain themselves in Glendale for the short term here without any real major problems, correct?
0: I think so. And uh, hey, look, it, if, if the team continues on its path on the ice as well, if they are winning, that's going to help your bottom line as well. Um, I I know that attendance is is inordinately weighted when, when people look at a team success. I mean, we hear it from Canadian fan bases all the time, the Coyotes attendance is near the bottom of the league. And the Coyotes of course would love to see that come up because that's more revenue, but it's one of several revenue drivers at this point. If you have stable ownership in town, I don't know what that might mean for your corporate ownership, uh, your corporate sponsorship possibilities. It might increase it significantly. I would think it would. And he has, again, he, he has expertise in several markets, so it would be interesting to see what sort of impact he can make there. There are other ways to make money other than attendance. And and in terms of Glendale, I I don't know where this is all going to go, but you know I can't help thinking. I, I've tweeted it many times, probably well, now it'll be illegal for me to do so while I'm driving through the gut of the city <laughs> and enduring and, and one of those hour-and-a-half, hour-and-45-minute commutes that can happen during the season. I can't help wondering, when that 202 opens south of South Mountain and cuts through the Estrellas, that's going to change my life. I wonder if it'll change the life of some other East Valley residents as well. And they'll be more willing to make that trek to the west side to watch them play.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's a great point as well. And And one other thing, just because it's going to get asked a bunch, it's just about Phil Kessel. No, it's not oh, about Phil Kessel. Okay. As much as I would love to, it's June, but kind of it is, I guess. It's June thirteenth. I can't imagine even, let's say, everything goes hypothetically swimmingly and perfectly along the way. There's not going to be a major financial impact in terms of free agency for 2019, correct?
0: I don't know yet, Jamie. I can't answer that. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, if if they're confident in this thing going forward, you know how these sort of uh, backroom talks go yeah there's there's probably been plenty of contact between the organization and and Alex morello at this point so maybe he's given them some assurances and it's impossible for me to say at this point here's what I would say though in in, in cautioning uh, against expecting big things in free agency that hasn't been John psych's mo in the past and maybe that's because of the budget he's had to play with but he also thinks that teams tend to waste money. They spend too much in free agency, and I, I tend to agree with him. Look at Jeff Skinner's contract. Would you yeah. sign Jeff Skinner for that money? No, nope. That was no. crazy to nope me. So maybe that's not your best route. Maybe you have to go the trade route, or you find those sort of bargain free agents like he has found in the past, like Michael Grabner last year, where you're not spending insane money, but you're trying to improve other areas of your hockey club, not trying to go out and get that mega star that's just going to cost so much that it's going to throw your cap structure into disarray. I mean, there's there's a report out there right now that it was from Darren Dreger that the Coyotes' primary focus is Matt Duchene. I don't know that that's true. I, I don't suspect that that's true, to be honest. But if if Jeff Skinner made nine million a year, what is Matt Duchene going to command on the open market, and what would that do to the Coyotes? Do you want to spend that kind of money on Matt Duchene?
1: No, no, I'm not spending $10 million a year no. on Matt and, 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 no, and Nobody should, but somebody well, will. Well, somebody will.
2: That's, that's part of the, uh, the equation. I mean, it, it would be interesting. It'd be great to see this team have money where they could spend as much as they wanted to within the salary cap, obviously. But you do have to remember that even if you if, if we get to that point, you don't just go out there and, and just blow that money on whoever just because it's, a, it's a, a big name that may or may not be productive or not. You still have to be smart about it, which is where I want to see Chica operate with not, not that they have to spend to the the cap ceiling, but just where there's no fear that you won't be able to keep your own players that you're developing, where you right. can go out there and if if you have to overpay just a little bit for a, a, a you know a, a borderline. Elite player or a good player in free agency, or if you have to address a need or whatever, you got to make a trade where you just don't have to think about the constraints. I, I don't look at this as like, hey, if this goes through, this is this is great because the Cowboys are going to spend right to the cap every year. I don't think they have to do that with Chaya as the GM. I would just like to see some of the constraints lifted because they they're going to have players coming up if they develop these guys right that are going to need some contracts, and they're you know it'd be nice to be able to be able to go out there and and address a need or two in free agency, whether it's this year or next year. I you can't you can't really go out though and just buy an elite goal scorer. You typically have to draft or somehow trade for those guys.
0: Yeah, by and large, those guys are not available on the market. They do come available occasionally, but yeah, they cost a ton of money. And you, you talk about constraints. It's the same thing that we used to say about Don Maloney, right? When they were they were on that three year run in the playoffs where they had really good teams, but you wondered what would it look like if they could add that one key piece or two key pieces. That possibility was never there, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. We don't know yet, but it would be really interesting to see the Coyotes be able to operate in that sort of world.
2: I, I, the equation, too, going back to what you said a little while ago, Craig, for people that you know, a story like this comes out, and it's not done, but if they're, if they're going to vote at the Board of Governors next week, that's encouraging at least. The jump people instantly make to, okay, and then where can we relocate this team? I think that's a combination of very nervous fans – who you know I can I can empathize with that and just uneducated trolls on the internet and there's a lot more of those well, than anything.
0: I'll, I'll take it one step further. Uh, part of the what I've discovered in the process of reporting on this ownership thing over a ten-year period, but definitely recently, there are there are sources out there that are league sources. You can classify them as league sources that will spread that relocation idea. They'll put that in people's heads. And, and there are people there, you know, probably associated with other groups that wanted to buy this team that will spread that, or will try and sabotage the process or discredit another group. All that sort of dirty play takes place in this process as well. So keep that in mind when you're reading that stuff. And when and when you're reading the relocation rumors, ask yourself, where is that coming from? who Who is pushing that? And is it a person in a as, – as I have said before, is it a primary source? Is it someone – Who's in the room? A decision maker, or is it, you know, an executive somewhere, or an agent somewhere, or some other uh, someone someone else affiliated with the game who heard it from someone, or has this idea, or has ulterior motives? You
2: no, know, it's it's a great point. I mean, this this whole process has I think forced fans to sort of become more vigilant and you know in tune with what's going on when they when they read a story you know like you're saying Craig you can't just be like well league sources are are hinting that the team might relocate like that doesn't really mean as much as you would think it would on the surface
0: well look look at Gary Bettman's track record on the Coyotes I mean he said it himself no one should should question my my uh, commitment to keeping the coyotes in arizona no one should question it. it should be pretty clear by now that i am committed to keeping the coyotes in arizona so start with that that's the commissioner of the nhl saying that and use that to color any rumor that you hear i believe and i have said this for several years now that as long as gary bettman is committed to keeping the coyotes in arizona they're not going anywhere, and I don't care what anybody else is saying at that point.
2: Yeah, I I've, I don't know what who more you would need to hear it from than the commissioner. And I know the pushback would be like, well, he could just be saying that. Let's see it with right. action. Well, oh, his action we has
0: in Atlanta too. Well, Atlanta didn't have an ownership group.
2: No, and kind of a big deal. If you're going to go with action, speak louder than words he has put the action in now
1: for 10 years to make sure this team stays here. And also, like, even the Atlanta comparison, it's it's apples and oranges, because not only did Atlanta not have an ownership group, the city council said, yeah, we're not paying for you to stay. No, was a completely different So if the, if, And again, the Coyotes had that option in Glendale, and they did vote for them to stay. Yeah. And they did vote to pay the $25 million to the NHL and all that other stuff for multiple years. So that's a whole different scenario. We also live in a whole new world now, where they've got a taste mm-hmm. of what these expansion fees look like. And they're going, you know what? Mm-hmm. I would much rather take all... The, I would make two three four times the money for the league to expand versus to relocate they could stay in arizona especially if there's any opportunity if there's a sliver of an opportunity they could stay in arizona that's always going to be at least from what gary bettman says the primary option and he's the commissioner of, of the all league All of
0: that yes all of that that's a, a really good point with the expansion fees too but also aside from the atlanta thrashers go back and find me the team that re- relocated before them when was the last time this is not a regular occurrence for the NHL. It's been a really long damn time. The Atlanta Thrashers are the only team that's done it in, in any sort of recent memory. You just don't do it because it's bad for business. It's bad when you you commit to a market and then say, "Yeah, we're leaving." That's just not good for business. Uh, uh, hello, NFL. But I don't see that. I don't see that as a primary focus right now. And again, I just think it's. It's lazy reporting when people get to that place so quickly. And you want to talk about lazy narratives. Let's talk about the, well, Tillman Fertitta really wants a hockey team. Somebody needs to do just a little bit of, of vetting and see how real that is. I don't think it's very real, and I think the league knows that already.
2: Yeah, that is funny how everybody just ran with that off of, like, one comment of, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to have a hockey team. And all of a sudden, any team that is having any problems for five seconds is somehow going to Houston, like... It's. I don't know if it's if it's lazy reporting or if it's just attention grabbing in 2019 on the internet or whatever it is. But um, even if you just if you look at it specifically with Arizona, I mean, the the location for the team geographically is important to the league. Austin Matthews that example has been worn out a thousand times, but it doesn't make it any less valid. I mean, even like a guy like Jake DeBrusk played a lot of his hockey growing up here in Arizona. It's just not made as much of a big deal anymore. I don't know. This is this is an area where. If anything, the sport is still growing. So, and, and it's been growing without much stability. So, if they actually have some stability going forward, that would obviously be huge. Um,
0: As I have said before, this this thing just feels personal for me to Gary Bettman. It feels personal at this point. Good, like he just there's, he's just so invested in this right now to make it work that until he says otherwise, I think that's what's going to happen
2: uh rose writes in aside from a new arena and increasing the team's internal cap budget what are some of the less obvious changes you hope the potential new owner might make
1: jamie do you want to yeah i think the, in with your... yeah i think the obvious one that i think most people care about is making sure that we get chicken fingers back in intermission in yeah. the press box that's it's that's that's a number one right i mean yeah you bring in a scoring winger like number two but number one it's got to be the chicken tender so ball.
2: everything is is wings to jamie scoring yeah. winger or buffalo or, wing yeah, not, not
1: wings Oh no, not wings! No, not wings. They're they're, tenders. tenders. The chicken
2: tenders. The last time they had those, didn't they go to the Western Conference Finals? Or my my advanced? They did. That's an excellent
0: point, and I I think they're directly tied.
2: Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Good. All right. I I feel like we've answered Rose's question.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now that we've gotten that important issue out of the way, (laughs) uh, a, a couple of things that I really that I touched on before that I'm curious to see. How does he bring in, how does he reach out to the Latino market? And look, I I want to be very careful here and not throw a blanket over the entire Latino community, which is incredibly diverse from many different nations, many different cultures we're talking about here. So just because they all speak the Spanish language doesn't mean that, that there's commonality across the board there. But having said that, this is a market that is largely untapped by the NHL. What can Alex Morello's ownership, if it comes through, mean to that market? And then the other thing with, with his gaming expertise, I mean, he owns two casinos now, and we know that the NHL is starting to explore this. We know that, that there are opportunities to gamble. I, I think both of you know this well in Arizona. What does that mean for that? that? What, what, what sort of opportunities exist there for the team? I'm not saying you guys have a problem. You might have a
2: problem. I feel right. like that was a shot at me just because I'm standing next to Jamie, who might have a problem. Um. <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to say after that. I, I, I like the idea, though, of, of of introducing the sport to to groups that aren't necessarily following it right now. Yeah, I mean, that, I, that's, that, to me, it, it, takes location of your potential or anything market. out. Yeah, that's just, as a hockey fan, I just want to see the game grown to an audience that maybe isn't getting too it yet. Yeah. I, I, Can
1: again, I point out that? Go ahead. No, it's just growing that, what your potential audience could be. You've got to open yourself up. And, and as Craig mentioned, you know... Cuban backgrounds versus Puerto Rican backgrounds versus Mexican backgrounds are all different. They're yeah. different cultures. There are different things. But the openness to say, we're going to go beyond what our typical demographics are and see if what happens if we market beyond where we have over the years. Now we have the money to market beyond. Which is where, where the NHL has kind of struggled
2: the in the past. It really has. Just kind of market to them, their own fans.
1: Yes, to the people that are already watching, which yeah. is great, but that's not how you build. That's not how you expand. That is That would be an incredibly important part. And obviously, I. I mean anyone that follows me or the stuff I do on the fantasy football side and then the sports betting side know that I I, I like the gaming aspect of it. I I oh, think, do you? I think we are a couple years of we 're maybe only two or three years away from basically being able to wager on the game you 're watching from your seat, whether on your phone or whether they 're going to build in seat devices, which a few of the organizations are really trying to push for right now in other areas of in the, particularly back east might see something like that in Chicago too uh, very soon, so I think that 's going to be another element, and if they can somehow find a way to get a cut of that, and know the leagues are really, really trying right now with not a lot of success to get a cut. Of this, a direct cut, not the indirect cuts that they're basically getting, but a direct cut of this revenue, that could be an extremely interesting problem that could be solved in Chicago. Yeah,
0: now, could Alex be a facilitator in that regard with with his expertise? It, it's interesting to think about. Can I by by the way point out that the word coyotes is the same in English as it is in Spanish? So I, I'm seeing a jersey with Los Coyotes on it at some point soon. Oh, they got to do it, right?
1: Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, but it's also not pronounced the same in Swedish, as we found out.
0: No, that. it is
2: not. It is absolutely Coyotes. It is, it is not a Swedish word. Uh, in terms of, of, of making in-game bets in Chicago, is that just simply which young player they're going to trade away and get nothing in return? Or is that a completely different thing?
0: <sighs> cowbell,
2: please. <laughs> I love that Craig has to call for the cowbell now. Uh, we also we are getting a squeaky toy of the Penguin.
0: Yeah, we have to. You have to get a squeeze you ordered
2: it? No, I'll I'll get one. I'll get one.
0: Yeah, right. I'll believe it when I see it, just like our drops.
2: Yeah, that's fine. I'll I'll work on all that stuff Uh, next season, next season. And also, I feel like we really need to get a big uh, drum so that Jamie can bang the nonlinear progression drum every few episodes. I feel like that's a necessary part of this, too. Uh, Real quick, since... Jamie,
0: how do you feel about a, uh, a poll question this week, uh... Which should be first on Luke's to do list? We already have drops in the squeaky toys. Generally. I hate we have, this. We need two more options.
1: Yeah, drops. Okay. Do you drop, like this idea? Squeaky toys t shirt design. There
0: you go. And we could just have an other category where yeah. people can it.
1: Other right in. Yep.
0: All the other things that Luke has neglected.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Take your pick. I, I, well, the only problem is I'm the one that posts the poll questions. So that would actually be the fourth item on the poll question, and I'll never get to it. <laughs> Uh, Coach East Jack Has the Natty Had you ever considered Taking a vacation together As a team And if so Where would you go And then Jamie responded With something rude and hurtful Which is why Jamie Wouldn't be invited
1: <laughs> Can you imagine The three of us On a road trip We almost did once To the NHL awards Like we like The one year Craig went I didn't go it Yeah was, It was very weird And then the one year the,
2: You went one year And Craig And you're yeah. going this year With me and Craig's not going Yeah
0: Right We're all going to be here. year I went with Luke though And Luke didn't bring his license
1: <laughs> That was so good <laughs> Although we're doing almost because we're going with uh, this year, it's me, you, and the uh, the king of Swedish things, yes. Sebastian. Sebastian's so it's almost, be there. This is basically as close as we're going to, to get to Craig's be at away. the
2: draft. So we're all going to be on the road next week. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's as close as we can possibly get for you. Um, Joseph writes in: Wasn't Jamie Eisner for sure? It was going to be Bruins in seven. On an aside, are you surprised how lackluster the Bruins offense was for a home game seven? Yes, and yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll actually stick up for Jamie a I little. I did pick
0: bit. the Blues. Yes, Craig. I think that's the only series I picked correctly in this entire postseason.
2: <laughs> I, I will say that as Jamie and I both picked the Bruins in seven. Um, I, I was not. I mean, like I've said all along, it was basically like fifty-five, forty-five. I don't think Jamie was over the top, definitive with his Bruins pick. Once
1: well, I picked them to win in seven, they yeah. they didn't. That's that's fine. It happened. Okay. I don't. Well, I don't think he's being critical.
2: I, no, but I just I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to open the I don't, door I don't need
1: your sy- for, your sympathy for Luke. other
2: people to be critical of you uh, so hopefully they all jump in
1: they don't need any extra help I provide them plenty of material
2: um, I'm trying to read something like I'm
0: not there right now to play mediator between you two
2: yeah this always happens when you go away Craig you Craig can't, tell Luke yeah it gets out of hand quickly you, you can't leave us unattended like this Uh, Robert writes in, starting to think there's a person inside the Coyotes organization that has one purpose, and it's to hold on to any breaking news and release it only when Craig goes on vacation. I'll have my popcorn ready for all this ownership talk. Uh, Most of the questions are about ownership. (sighs) How about Todd
0: and Phoenix? I'm not sure about that source inside the Coyotes organization. If if there is one, I'd like to find out. I'm not a big fan of that person.
2: But But we all love it so much. It's been a part of this ownership story. When Craig goes goes on vacation, we will get updates. Todd and Phoenix writes, In the Blues, rock bottom included a fight in practice between Bertuzzo and Sanford. If the 2018-19 Coyotes would have had a skirmish in practice, who would have been the combatants?
1: Ooh, that's a tough one.
0: Wow, and I didn't even see that question ahead of time, so that's coming out of the blue for me. Mm.
1: Like Lawson Krause? And...
0: <laughs> you just automatically go to Lawson Krause.
1: The Coyotes? Evaluate a worm,
0: uh, willingly. Well, <laughs> Did, yes. Who's going to
1: fight? <laughs> like, what, is Clayton Keller going to drop the gloves against somebody? I mean, I think got to be probably realistic not, here. No. Um, who's going to uh, go at it? Boy. Uh, I would say the
2: Coyotes, I mean, I don't cover any other teams consistently at all, but I would, I would say the Coyotes are probably a... a relatively pretty tight-knit group. I mean, I, I don't even yeah, really see a lot of, uh, like, altercations, even, like, arguments in practice. Do you?
0: No, I don't. I, I mean, look, the best of friends can scrap in, in practice. It's, it's hockey. So yeah. that's, that yeah. kind of stuff happens. So, if you know, if I had to put money on which guys might be involved in a scrap, I, Brad Richardson would probably be high on my list. He, yeah. He can get under people's skin. I could see. Uh, maybe Nick <laughs> Cousins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably a
2: pretty good call. Yeah. I was starting to think more all the time, like uh, Mike Smith and Derek oh, Morris. Paulson. I could see that mm-hmm. happening. Mike Smith, really and anybody? I could yeah, see M-
1: Mike Smith and yeah, anything. Mike Smith and and
0: exponential on the blank. Okay. Yes,
2: okay. Mike Smith and his his own goal. Um, yeah, Nick Cousins and and Brad Richardson. That's that's a pretty
0: good. That's a good call. Connor Garland and Sean Burke, Sean Burke and Shane Doan actually fought in a practice. That's they were throwing they were throwing fists <laughs> at each other. So that tells you how it can happen.
2: <laughs> well, if you want to go way back, Ilya Brzgalov and literally anybody, I'm surprised yeah. that never happened.
1: <laughs> well, you yeah. have to be mad? <laughs>
2: Uh, Kevin writes in, assuming things work out positive for Coyotes in ownership, what piece would Chika? First of all, just the first half of that sentence yeah. is soothing after the last few years. Also um, presumptive. After the yeah, last it is. <laughs> years. But whatever. Let's just let's all have fun with this. What piece would Chika have to attach to the HOSA contract to get
1: rid of it? I don't understand what just, why, what the desire to they give. They don't him have the to it. They're not paying him any money. Yeah. like it's it's cap hit.
0: not Yeah, and I, I guess that's people thinking. You know, oh, well, for the Coyotes to be a cap team. You know, maybe they could get rid of Jose's contract. I, I, I don't see that contract being moved. I mean, things can change; something can come along, but I don't think that's a high priority. I, I, I don't foresee that contract getting moved. I, I think they'll probably just ride that out.
2: Yeah, I think they've already reaped the benefits of taking yeah. on that contract, or I mean, they still will with with Stroza and who else did they get in that deal? Osterly. Osterly, yeah. yeah So, uh, I mean, especially Stroza this past year. Uh, imagine the garbage-pale kids, but. In outer space. Ooh, the impromptu bell, the unexpected cowbell.
0: Uh, Former Blackhawks, yes, thanks. That's that's
2: true. Uh, How was Craig's vacation on a scale of one to ten? How bad does Jim Rutherford look for publicly failing to trade Phil Kessel? Well, first of all, it's how is Craig's vacation? Because when he takes vacation, he's gone for six months at a time. Craig, how's your
0: vacation? I'm not gone for six months at a time. Hmm. Well, you don't, you
2: actually work the whole time you're on vacation, so it doesn't really feel like a vacation to anybody.
0: That that's probably true. That is, that is true actually. But my vacation is incredible. It's it's beautiful up here. Telluride's insane. Oure, if you haven't been to Oure, Colorado, check it out. It's gorgeous.
2: Um, Durango
0: has its Durango has its moments. It's got a cool strip downtown. So it's, yeah, it's it's an it's, uh, amazing place. The coolest thing right now, you know, when you do these drives, there's still snow on the top of the Rockies. It's insane. We're in mid June. There's still snow.
2: Yeah, there was. There was snow on, on the top of mountains driving out to L.A. over the weekend, too. That's crazy. And, and just for a reference point, it's 111 here today. So hope mm. you enjoy your nice Sorry, weather, Craig. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, on uh, What was the second half of that? On a scale of 1 yes. to 10, how bad does Jim Rutherford look for publicly failing to trade Phil Kessel? Oh,
0: uh, well, it hasn't happened yet, but why don't you address that, Luke, since you are uh, you have uh, somewhat of an affinity for the Penguins, I think.
2: I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if they don't trade Phil Kessel because I don't know that they were going to get back some amazing package that was going to spark the, like, rebuild on the fly that they're trying to do where they stay competitive but also don't salvage their, mortgage their future. Right. I don't think this is the worst thing Jim Rutherford's done as GM of the Penguins. No, it's not. It's not in the well, top, like, three. No.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the Penguins want to make a hockey trade. They want a significant return, and, and I don't know that you get that. Phil Kessel's been incredibly productive, but... His age is the problem there, right? And not to mention the baggage. Can he work with a lot of teams, or will he create some problems? I think those two things give people pause. The production level is still high, and he'd be great to have in the short term, but I don't know that the Penguins are going to get the return that they want. Having said that, Luke, what do the Penguins need to move then? Who goes if they can't move Phil Castle and they still want to Make significant tweaks to this roster to try and give Sid a couple more cracks in a cup.
2: I, I don't know that there is a piece that they can move. I mean, they finally have a first round pick this year. It's not like it's a, a great one, but they at least finally have a first round pick. They they've gone a while without one of those. Um, I mean, you're not. I, I'm not trading Letang or Malkin. And you're not trading yeah. Gensel because Gensel is the sort of player that you're not You're not trying to trade for Jake Gensel. You're trying to trade for the next Jake Gensel, though. So he, to me, is untouchable. I mean, those are the guys that you're you're not moving. Not like you want to move Phil Kessel if you're actually trying to win a Stanley Cup next year, which I think they are still trying to do whether they can or not. But it was just more a matter of if we're going to get two or three pieces back, maybe get a draft pick, maybe get a young player or maybe help out on defense or two of those three things. Kessel's probably your, your best, most realistic uh, shot at doing that. And like you said, it's not like they can't still trade him, but it sure seems like he wants to stay in Pittsburgh over going most places. And if that's the case, it can be even harder to trade him. I think in a lot of ways, they're sort of stuck with the team they have, which I do think is better than what they showed this year in the playoffs, where it doesn't even feel like they were in the playoffs. They were still a 100-point team this year. Um, I, I I will be fascinated to see what they look like next year whether they make changes or not. Because a year ago, I still think they would have beat Washington if Matt Murray showed up for that series. And then the two years before that, they won the Cup. But they're definitely tra- trending the wrong direction. And you do wonder if if they're going to fall off a cliff here pretty soon. Or
0: maybe they did if in you're the playoffs. Rutherford, if you're Rutherford, would you, at some point, would you consel- consider selling Phil Kessel on the cheap just to have that cap space available? You know, get a, a decent prospect and a pick back in return to one of these teams that he might be willing to go to, would you consider that as the GM? I
2: I would consider it. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't get rid of him just to have the cap space, though, because they don't really have a lot of guys that score. Like they have a few guys that score a lot, but it's not when you get past Kessel, Gensel, Crosby, and Malkin you realize that there's not a lot of players on the team that can put the puck in the net. So I, I wouldn't just get rid of him for the sake of doing it. But yeah, if I'm getting a, a decent pick back and maybe a prospect that I'm actually going to hold on to, I mean, they've also been trading prospects over the last couple of years, cap space gives you some flexibility at the trade deadline. Yeah, I think you at least have to consider it, don't you?
0: I would think so, but I, I don't know I don't know where his head is and how, how willing he is, how desperate he is to move Phil Kessel, how much he wants to move him to make other things work on that roster
2: it, it does seem like he sort of decided that was the best way to add pieces which he's probably right and then kind of locked in on now we have to move them and hopefully like, i don't want to just give phil kessel away and it, it, if they are giving phil kessel away then i can think of a team that maybe at that point should step in and say hey if you're just giving phil kessel away
1: <laughs> yeah I, I, right I, right it, it's tough it's because t- obviously i think you've you hard set on the the jason zucker trade and then that got nixed and now you're trying to kind of play catch up from there i I, I, to me i i I have a hard time believing you're going to be able to make a fair hockey trade for phil kessel i think you could get fair compensation for phil kessel but it might not be with players that are going to impact your 2019 2020 team
2: yeah uh real quick because i know craig has to get back to whittling a cabin out of uh, wood that he has chopped down in the forest i want to get to coyote steve's question I keep reading critical reviews slamming Arizona for their selection of Hayden. I was critical of the pick at the time, but based on everything he accomplished last year, it's hard not to believe Arizona may have done well with that pick. Is it just lazy analysis or an anti-Arizona
0: bias? <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to the latter part of that question, but not all analysts are, are saying it was a bad pick. In fact, the Athletics' own Corey Pronman is pretty damn high on Barrett Hayden at this point. I think He thinks he's going to be a very good NHL player. In the end, guys, who knows? <laughs> All of this analysis, How you you're talk about projecting 17- and 18-year-old kids. It's really hard to do. No one really knows. The Coyotes are really high on him. I really have a, an inkling that he's going to make the roster this season, and then we'll just get to see firsthand. We'll get to see for ourselves over the next couple, three years, whether he is going to be the type of player they envision him being, whether he is worth the high draft pick they use to select him.
2: He is quietly... Um one of the more important players in the Coyotes organization. And, and by one of the more, he might be like one of the top three or four, don't you think? I mean, we, we, I in know that. a prospects? Well, no, what? just in general, if you're talking about the team making a jump to actually being, I think they can make the jump to being a playoff team next year with or without Barrett Hayton. Uh, and that'll be something we talk about, I'm sure, in the off season because other teams in the West have gotten better. So it's not like it's going to be easy. But if you're talking about this team challenging for actual championships and getting through the Western Conference and Stanley Cups in the next few years, championships
1: plural. Well, it just you know yeah. what
2: I mean. Um, Hayton's he's suddenly Crosby, very very important. Well, because they don't have they no. don't have that bonafide top two center that you can build around. And I don't know that he's a true number one center, but. If you're talking about actually getting through the Western Conference in the next few years, he suddenly becomes more important to me than almost anybody on the team except Oliver Ekman Larson, which is crazy because he's never even played an NHL game.
0: Yeah, I'd probably put him in the top five or six. Like, If you're asking me, the guys that are critical to this team taking that step, playoffs and beyond, he's there, Nick Schmaltz is there, Clayton Keller is there, and then on defense I'd put Oliver Ekman Larson and Jacob Jigren in that mix, and then... Of course, the goaltending. What's going to happen in goal? So those, those would be the critical pieces that I would look at.
1: Yeah, and, and based on what we know right now, there's so nothing. No, which is nothing. There's no reason to believe it was necessarily a bad pick. But he won't yeah. be. But Barrett Hayton and John Shikar aren't going to be judged based on what we know right now. So it, it, it's it's kind of. I mean, it's it's a cool thought exercise. No, but a lot of people
2: didn't like the pick right when it happened, and we sure. told the story before. People were upset they didn't take Kachuk, and Kachuk so, was already off the board. Or yeah, no, Zadina, Zadina too.
0: Zadina, Zadina was the, the reason. lost their mind over. But, but a lot of
2: people at the draft party lost their mind over them not taking Kachuk, taking Brady Kachuk. And Brady Kachuk was not on the
1: board at that point. But, again, true. But the the point is, and a lot of people have come have changed their opinions on Barrett Hayton based on the season he he's had. Yeah. Um. But, again, we're not judging him based on what we know now. There's there's no way we can act, accurately say it was a good pick, it was a bad pick, it was a, a, a reach. We, we don't know yet.
0: Yeah.
2: No, but I, I think Coyotes fans in general are warming to it over the last year. Yeah.
0: They're going to get a much better look at him in training camp, and and again, I think I think in, unless Barry Hayden does not have a good camp, I think he's going to be on the roster this year. I really do.
2: Yeah, well, that would be exciting. It would be exciting because of, when they drafted him, the talk was about how much he is a two way center, and then this year he sort of reinforced that he can put the puck in the net too. And if he is able to do that relatively well at the nhl level that makes him a very dangerous player and really the sort of player the coyotes haven't had at that position uh in a long time all right craig we will let you get back to your forests um we're going to do a show next i don't know i don't know we're going to do the show next week i would assume before the draft and the awards show but we'll figure it out because next week's gonna be crazy yeah, with everything going weird. on yeah
0: so. it is gonna be crazy all
2: right craig we'll enjoy the rest of your vacation thanks for uh, calling in for just a, a short hour and 15 minutes on your wife's cell phone
0: all right boys i'll talk to you next week all right (laughs)
2: all right that's gonna do it for us for craig morgan and jamie eisner i'm luke lipinski thanks for listening to the natural hat trick podcast
1: i have no sign off this time good